Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles tonight and let's go to Nehemiah chapter number six tonight. Nehemiah in chapter six, we are, of course, walking our way through the book of Nehemiah on Wednesday nights. Nehemiah chapter number six. And uh, you can be seated right there where you are. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one, perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. We'd encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Our Bible preaching and teaching method at First Baptist Church is simply to do this, to go next chapter and next verse and walk through God's Word together in that fashion. So if you want to know where we're going to be next week, Nehemiah chapter 6. Okay, because we're not going to get all the way through the chapter tonight. And you want to know what will be after, the week after that? Nehemiah chapter 7. Okay, so what that does for you, man, you can read ahead. You can see what those passages are talking about. You can be familiar with God's word in that way. Of course, here's why this is important. Because God's word and God's word alone has the ability to give us life. Amen. God's word and God's word alone. The Bible says his word, the word of God, is life to my soul. Life to my soul. So this is why we spend, spend the vast majority of what we're doing in church. We're spending it in God's word. We're not wasting time on a bunch of other things. We're saying get to the word because his word is the very word of life. Nehemiah chapter 6 tonight is where we are hanging out. Now you're going to be reminded this that Nehemiah has been given the task of rebuilding the walls. He's rebuilding the walls. He's rebuilding the gates. They were left in ruin. And the reason that they were in ruin was because the children of Israel had sinned against God. Mark, mark it down. The wages of sin is death. That when you live your life in sin, there will always be consequences as a result. There will always be devastation and destruction as a result of sin. And so they're living in sin. The walls are torn down. And you'll remember that Nehemiah is actually not in Jerusalem originally. Nehemiah was in Shushan in the palace. He was actually in captivity. That's where he was. And he was seeing Jews come in to the palace there. He was the king's cupbearer, the Bible teaches us. And he's inquiring, what's happening in Jerusalem? What's happening in Jerusalem? Well, here's what was happening in Jerusalem. A group of people were gathering together. The prophet Ezra, how many of you remember the book of Ezra in the Bible? It's right in front of Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah are actually contemporaries. So Ezra was this prophet. He was this preacher. Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He's actually not a construction worker, but that's what he becomes. And so Nehemiah is leading this effort over here in, in, uh, on this political front. And Ezra is leading this effort on this side, on the spiritual front. And they're hearing... Nehemiah hears the report of what's happening in Jerusalem and his heart becomes burdened. He waits for the timing to be right. Listen, sometimes you can do the right thing, but you do it at the wrong time. And so it becomes the wrong thing. You see, Nehemiah waits for the right time to do the right thing. And then, of course, he's sent out from King Artaxerxes, travels all that way, gets all the lumber he needs, and he's in the middle of rebuilding this wall. And we come now, Nehemiah chapter 6, look, verse 1. Now it came to pass that when Sambala and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, Though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, 
Let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And yet they sent unto me four times after this same sort. And I answered them after the same manner. Then they sent Sambala and his servant unto me in a like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen and Geshmu saith it that thou and the Jews think to rebel for which cause thou buildest the wall that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now it shall be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto them, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they, are all, for they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, and it shall not be done. So here's Nehemiah's prayer. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So there's one thing that's very clear from the book of Nehemiah, and that is this. That there is a battle in the Christian life from start to finish. Nehemiah ran into opposition at the very beginning, the moment that Nehemiah set his heart to do what God had called him to do. He faced difficulty even before he got in the city. And then, of course, you'll remind yourself what we studied in chapter 2, what we studied in chapter 3, and so on, is that even once he got into the city, even once he reached Jerusalem, enemies rose up. They were resisting, they were fighting, they were doing everything they could to prevent Nehemiah from doing the work that God had, of course, given him to do. Now, you may not have experienced this in your Christian life, but I will tell you this. Be a Christian long enough, and at some point or another, you will experience the same thing that Nehemiah is experiencing. So here in Nehemiah, as in other places, we learn that as we navigate this life, the Bible teaches us that we have three enemies. There's three enemies that we face in this world. And they're this, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That these are the enemies that always come up against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world in the, in, in the sense of philosophy or system or ideologies. That we are always having to combat particular veins of thought. We are always having to combat particular nuances of philosophy and, being, and reminding ourselves of the truth of the scripture, of the way that it is in, that in God's word, whether that would be readily accepted in the culture or society or whether that would be rejected. We are reminding ourselves that we are at war in this world. But the Bible also teaches us that the devil is an enemy that we face in this life. Let me, let me say a word about this. The devil is not omniscient. The devil is not omnipresent. The devil cannot be everywhere all the time. The devil is a created being. He's limited. He can only be in one place at one time. And oftentimes what we do in our lives is we use the devil as an excuse to justify our own flesh. Well, the devil made me do it. You, you think the devil, with all that's going on in the world, you think the devil cares about little old me? 
No, he doesn't care about me. You know why? Because the devil knows I take care in my flesh. I mess up enough times in my own flesh, my own way. The devil has enough, he doesn't have to worry about me. Why? Because I'm battling that third enemy. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. Man, the things that I would not, those I do. The things that I would, those I do not. I find in myself a war within my members. So there's this tug of war, Paul is saying, that's happening inside of his flesh. And the same happens for you and the same happens for me. We need to remind ourselves of this, that in the Christian life, we have an enemy. And the enemy that we face is the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is the enemy that has set himself against us. Can I tell you this? The person behind you is not your enemy. The person next to you is not your enemy. I mean, your, your husband may feel like your enemy sometimes, but he is not, I promise you. The, the Bible is very clear. Here is the enemy that we have. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And I will tell you this, the Bible teaches us this, that the, all of our enemies are working against us in this way. And their main goal is to do this. They're trying to do two things, namely. First, they are trying to threaten us. The Bible says that the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's flexing his muscles. He's showing his strength. He's trying to intimidate. He's trying to, he's trying to reveal how powerful, how strong, how influential he is. He's trying to strike, listen, he's trying to strike fear into our hearts. But God has not given us the spirit of fear. God has given us the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. We do not have to fear. We don't have to live our lives in fear in this way. Now, the, the greatest fear, and actually the only fear that we are called to have in this life, is the fear of God. And the person who fears God fears no one else. The person who fears God fears no one else. And yet the devil is at work in this world, in this way. He's trying to intimidate us with fear. And second, if he cannot do that, then he is, he is, he is trying he is, trying to, uh, he, he is trying to come against us in this way as an angel of light, the Bible says. So the Bible says he's coming against us as this roaring lion. And the Bible says he's coming against us as an angel of light. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, which, which is a way of saying, catch, the, catch the, the inference. It's a way of saying he comes with smiles. He comes graciously. He comes offering peace. He comes, he comes with flattering words and assuring promises. And yet, they are empty in the end. Okay, so what, these are two ways he's at work in our world. This is from the New Testament. There's two ways he's at work in our world. He is at work in our world through three avenues, the world, the flesh, the devil, and accepting, coming at us in two ways, fear and flattery. And you know what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 6? The same two strategies... Fear and flattery. In fact, the chapter breaks out really simple. They have come against Nehemiah at the very beginning. They try to distract Nehemiah. Come down off the wall. Come over and meet us. They do it four times they send that letter. Come over and meet us. Come over and meet us. Come over and meet us. And the devil is persistent. The flesh is persistent. The world system is persistent. So verse number one to verse number four, distraction. Verse number five to verse number nine, defamation. That's the second part of what we read. He says, they sent an open letter. And in this open letter, what they said is, oh, we're going to send this to the king. And we heard, and so-and-so said, that one guy's sister's brother's cousin's uncle thought that you guys might be trying to make Nehemiah the king. 
And so we're going to send this to Artaxerxes that you have a plan to rebel against him. And how happy do you think that's going to make old King Artaxerxes? You see, so this defamation against him. So notice this is what Paul is, or this is what Nehemiah is saying, verse 8. No, 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 there are no such things done as thou sayest. You feignest them out of thine own heart. You came up with them on your own. You're imagining this to be true. Notice he's saying, because you want to make us afraid. Because you're, you're trying to weaken our hands from the work, and this will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So it's distraction, verse 1 through 4. It's defamation, verse 9 through, verse 5 to 9. We're not going to get these tonight, but I'm going to just show them to you quickly. It's danger in verse 10 to verse number 14. It's danger in verse 10 to 14. So he finds himself shut in. And he looks around and says, this is, a, this is a bad situation. They can cause me a lot of harm. And then, of course, and he gets out of that situation with the Lord's help. And then verse 15, down to the end, verse 19, it's division. So distraction, defamation, danger, division. But whatever route he is taking, he has two ways that he's taking it. One with fear and one with flattery. And this is important because you and I must discern the multiple schemes that we face in our life. Sometimes the devil, the flesh, and the world, they're coming at us with flexing muscles. They're showing their teeth. They're trying to intimidate. They're trying to strike fear. And they're trying to get us as God's people to cower and to step back from what God has called us to do. And there are other times where they realize that this is not happening. This is not going good. And so we're going to flatter them with nice words. It's an angel of light. It's all smiles and gumdrops and raindrops and rainbows. And it's a little compromise here, a little compromise there. And it's the small foxes that spoil the vine, Solomon says. Watch, you can trace this line, not just from Nehemiah on into the New Testament, but you can trace that same line all the way through church history. You can trace that same line all the way through church history where they could not get Christians to recant on their beliefs, where they could not get God's people to turn from the word of God. They put them under threat of persecution. They threw them to the lions. They fed them to foxes. They did all of this, and yet the gospel flourishes. And so what happened? Satan changed up his strategy. So fine, if they won't recant under threat of persecution, well, then we're going to come in and we're going to present it like it's this nice, neat package and that will still cause them to step away from what God has given them to do. So this is what I want you to see tonight. I want you to see that it's very clear that God gave Nehemiah good discernment. And I am asking you this tonight. Do you have this kind of spiritual discernment? Do you have spiritual discernment enough to realize the scheme that is afoot? Do you, do you have spiritual discernment enough to realize that you are at war in this Christian life? Do you have the discernment that Nehemiah has? As it relates to your friendships, as it relates to your entertainments, as it, as it relates to what you watch, what you introduce your children to, as it relates to the kind of friendships that you, that you navigate in us. Do you have the discernment of Nehemiah? And I will tell you this, just listen, listen very close. I will tell you this. Most Christians do not. Most Christians do not. 
They do not have good spiritual discernment. So how can we have good spiritual discernment? That is what we're asking. And we're going to answer it the next several weeks. We're not going to answer it all tonight. It's too, it's too uh, the, the passage is too lengthy. And there's just, there's too much substance here for us to be able to, to unpack it rightfully tonight. So we're just going to take this first one. God, God helps us to endure distraction, notice, by giving us a compelling purpose. God helps us to endure distraction by giving us a compelling purpose. So one of the ways that God is renewing, one of the ways that Nehemiah is discerning, one of the reasons why the wall is continually being rebuilt is because Nehemiah has a compelling purpose in his life. So look at verse one, here's the distraction. Our enemies heard that I builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though I, at that time I had not set up the doors upon the wall and the gates. Winky face. Do you see the winky face in your Bible? It's right there. You thought that was something new? God was doing that long before you ever texted that out, all right? So he says, they, they, they knew that the work was close. And so what did they do? Samballot and Geshem sent it to me saying, come, let's meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Notice his discernment. But they thought to do me mischief. And so I said to them, I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you. And they, they said the same thing to me four times after the same sort. And I answered them after the same manner. So Nehemiah's enemies are trying to get him to stop the work by inviting him a day's journey away from Jerusalem to the plain of Ono. It would have taken him about a day to get there. They'd have had a set up camp. They'd have had meetings the next day. They would have gone back to camp. And then they had a then they had would have had to journey back to Jerusalem and the work would have had to stop for those few days. And Nehemiah is discerning. Nehemiah is using good spiritual discernment to say, no, this is not a good thing to do. First of all, they can assassinate me while I'm there. They could do me evil while I am there. They could kidnap me. He sees, he recognizes, listen, he recognizes the harmful intent in their heart. He discerns it. He sees it. And then more than that, he says, it would delay the project. It would pull me from the real reason why I am here. It would keep me from accomplishing the most important thing. I would enter into grave danger. That's important. But more important is that the work would cease. And so he is saying that very famous verse. If you've read Nehemiah at all, you've heard verse three of chapter six before. I cannot come down while I, or why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? And I will tell you this, friend, that you and I are presented with all kinds of distractions that would get us away from the most important things in our lives. You and I are daily presented with all kinds of distractions that either have the potential to harm us, put us in situations that would be detrimental to our spiritual growth, put us in situations that would be detrimental to our spiritual life, put us in situations that would create resentment and bitterness and contention, 
Put us in situations that would harm our family, harm our wives or our husbands, if they were to find out that we were in that type of situation. You see, we're presented with all kinds of things that they, they, they pull us in this one direction. They distract us and they're potentially harmful to us. But more than that, so how do you resist that? More than that, you must have a compelling purpose in your life. Dangerous distractions are always attractive when you are near the end of the work. You see, this is what Nehemiah remembers. Though the work is almost done, the work is not yet done. You see what he's doing? Look at, look at verse, uh, look at verse uh, one. They heard that I built the wall, that there was no breach left therein. And though at that time I had not yet set up the doors upon the gates. He says, we were really close to being done, but we weren't yet done. Th- we weren't all the way there yet. We were not all the way finished just yet. Distractions are especially dangerous when you are almost done, but you have not yet finished the work that God has given you to do. So Nehemiah's response, I am not coming to you. I I am not coming down. I, I am not wasting my time with a meeting. I am not allowing myself to be distracted by this. The work is too great. Things are too important. Now listen, listen here, because you and I, in, in, in our day and age, we read verse 3 and we're saying, man, Nehemiah doesn't have time to meet with people. He must be so selfish. He must be so arrogant. He must think himself so highly. No, 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 no. Nehemiah is not being arrogant. Ne- Nehemiah is not being selfish. Nehemiah is being focused. Nehemiah is saying, no, no, this is not what God sent me here to do. I am not the political advisor for Jerusalem. God sent me here to build this wall. So I am not coming down. He recognized that what God had already given him to do was too important for the Lord's sake. It was too important for the people of Jerusalem's sake. Write this down. It's going to help you later. Write it down. Great lives are produced by a commitment to a great cause. Great lives are produced by a commitment to a great cause. Great people, all the great people you know in this world, they are ordinary people who are choosing to remain committed to the cause that God has given to them. If you you know great parents, if you know a person who's a great dad, who's a great mom, do do you know why they're a great dad or mom? It's because as a mom and dad, they made a commitment that they are going to remain focused on the great cause given to them. You know someone who has a great marriage? You know why they have a great marriage? Not, not, not because that person is perfect. We've done this over and over. There are no perfect people in this world. Yes? Not even you. Not me. No, there's no perfect people. There's no perfect marriages. Two people into one relationship in marriage, it doesn't make a perfect marriage. It doesn't make a perfect relationship. It equals two sinners in one relationship. It doesn't take away the sin. It's twice the sin. But, but if, if you know someone who has a great marriage, do you know why they have a great marriage? 
Because they've made a commitment to a great cause. They said, we're not going to allow any distractions to come in. We're not going to get sidetracked by pursuits at the office. We're not going to get sidetracked or distracted by promotions. We're not going to get sidetracked or distracted with pornography. We're not going to get sidetracked or distracted with all these other things that can creep in and steal our hearts away. No, we're, we're, we are remaining committed. Every great Anything, parent, marriage, Christian, great lives are produced by a commitment to a great cause. And those great people are really, it's what you gotta, you gotta see this. Those great people are really just ordinary people. Do you know why God uses ordinary people? You know why God uses ordinary people? Because that's all there is. There are, there are no extraordinary people in this world. You know what there are? There, there are some ordinary people who have remained committed to a great cause. They have a compelling purpose in this life and they are not stepping away from that compelling purpose that God has given to them. You think of it. Think of most of the investments that you and I make with our life. And by our life, I mean our time, our money, our words, our energy. You think of most of the investment that you made with your life today. Most of it will be gone in 20 years. Most of it will be, it'll disappear in 20 years. We won't even have it. And, and, and even if you are purchasing something that you feel like this, no, my children are going to love this. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Your children are going to sell that for a quarter at the next yard sale after you're gone. It happens over and over again. They, they, they do not care. No, no, my children, they'll definitely care about this family lamp. No, they won't. It's sold, I'm telling you. It's gone. Most of what we use our lives for I'm talking about the conversations we've had. I'm talking about the entertainments we chose. I'm talking about uh, the way we spent our money. I I'm talking about all of that. Most of it will be gone in 20 years. Think of it. What 20 years ago did you invest in that you're still working for and using today? Very little. Very little. Much, most of it will be gone in 20 years. Much less a thousand years. Much less a thousand years. It'll all be gone in a thousand years. Should the Lord stay his coming and this world continue on, it will be completely absent this planet a thousand years from now. Much less a million years. And so this is why Jesus is saying to those who have spiritual discernment, why are you living your life to store up for yourselves Treasures on the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Why, why are you investing your life in something that won't even be here in 20 years, much less a thousand? No, better, better to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust doth corrupt, cannot corrupt, and where thieves cannot break through and steal. You see, there is a way to live your life. There is a way to use your words. There is a way to spend your time 
where you are investing it in eternity and not in here on this earth. But you and I get distracted too easily. Nehemiah has good spiritual discernment. He refuses to let himself get distracted. You say, well, pastor, how can I keep from getting distracted? Let me tell you how. Thank you for asking. Let me tell you how. Fill your life up. Fill your life up intentionally with what is good and godly. Fill your life up intentionally with what is good and godly. You see, you, you must understand the importance of spiritual development, of Christian fellowship, of the pursuit of sanctification. You, you must, instead of spending your life just wasting away your days, instead of just, well, here we are today, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Instead of just wasting your life away in this way, spend your life intentionally. Live your life intentionally. Fill up your life intentionally. No, here's how I'm going to use my time. Here's how I'm going to use my words. Here's how I'm going to use my job at the office. Here's how I'm going to use my home and my neighborhood. Here's how I'm going to use my car. Here's how I'm going to use my friending. You see, you are intentionally using what God has given to you in a way that brings God glory and others good. You're living your life intentionally, filling up your life intentionally in a way where God is glorified. The chief purpose of man, to glorify God. In all that you said today, was God glorified? Well, I don't know if God was glorified, but it felt good to say. That's the way most of us go through life. That's the way most of us live. In all that was done, in all that was said, was God glorified? And did it bring good? Jesus is telling us this. Here's how men will know you're my disciples. Not because you posted it on your profile, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. That's not how they will know. Here's how they will know. By your love for God and your love for others. Amen. You see, Nehemiah refuses to get distracted because Nehemiah has a compelling purpose. And he will not allow himself. He will not allow himself to step apart from the purpose. Some of you who've grown up in church or been around church for a long time, you, you, you'll recognize this phrase really quickly. And the phrase is this. Finish it if you know it. Keep the main thing the main thing. You know what Nehemiah is doing? He's keeping the main thing the main thing. There are a thousand ways Nehemiah could have been distracted. This is one of them. And Nehemiah is saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna allow this to happen. I'm going to, I'm going, I'm just an ordinary person, but I'm gonna make a commitment to live my life for a cause greater than myself. I don't know about you, but I want my life to outlive my life. I want the investment of my life to outlive my life. And it can. What this means also though, and you need to hear me on this, you, it also means that there are some times that there are some things you have to say no to. You remember what Jesus said? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Remember that? Amen. Which means sometimes you have to say no. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have put that in there. Some of you, this is where you struggle. You struggle in saying no. And I'm going to tell you why you struggle there. Because I struggle in this area sometimes as well. Sometimes the reason why we struggle telling people no is because we actually are not living for the glory of God, but we are living for the approval of others. 
and we feel as if we tell them no, then they're going to be mad at us. They're going to be upset at us and they're not going to give us the approval that we are seeking from them. You see, that person is actually called an insecure person. It's an immature person, biblically, scripturally. Someone who cannot tell somebody no because they really don't want to disappoint them and let them down because they're living for that person's approval. Do you understand? So sometimes Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Sometimes you'll be presented with distractions, but you must have a compelling purpose, living your life for a cause greater than your life, saying no to things that are lesser than so that you can do the more important thing. So you can do the more more important thing. So how do we determine that? How do we determine what the more important thing is? I got five questions for you. I won't even expound them. I'll just give them to you. You can write them down. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer them. I am not the Holy Spirit. Simply a pastor. That's all I am. So here they are. Here's five questions to ask yourself about your compelling purpose in this life. First, what will the center of my life be? What will the center of my life be? What will I rearrange everything else for? Who will I rearrange everything else for? What will the center be? Second. Second. What will the character of my life be? What will the center be? Second, what will the character be? So, so here's, here's what I'm living for. Now, how am I going to go about that? Am I going to go about that fleshly? Am I going to go about that pushy? Am I going to go about that in, uh, uh, angry? Am I going to go about that according to the, the spirit? What will the center be? What will my character be? Third, what will the contribution of my life be? What will the contribution of my life be? What contribution am I making to my friends at my office, in my family, in this church, in this community, in this culture? What is my contribution here? Fourth, what will my communication be? So what are the things I'm going to say? How am I going to say them? How am I going to communicate these things that are important to me? And who am I going to communicate them to? Who am I going to tell them to? Remember what Paul is telling Timothy? Find faithful men and commit to them the things that you heard from me. As parents, by the way, this is one of the primary responsibilities as parents. To teach and instruct your children. This is, this is ultimately the primary responsibility. Number five. What will be the community of my life? What will be the center? What will be the character? What will be the contribution? What will be the communication? And what will be the community of my life? Who who, who is that group of people that I am going to spend my life pouring into? Who is that group of people that I'm going to spend my life making a, a contribution for the glory of God and for the good of others? If you're here tonight and you're saying, I do not know how to do that. I do not, I do not know how to answer that. Well, then here's what I would tell you to do. First, immerse yourself in God's word. You want to you be able to answer all five of those questions? Spend time in God's word. 
If you're not spending time in God's word, if you're rejecting the word of God, then you're not going to know the will of God. The will of God is always revealed in the word of God. Listen very closely. The will of God is revealed in the word of God. It's, it's revealed here. You say, well, I don't, I don't think it's actually revealed here. Like, does God tell me who I'm to marry? I'm just open it up. Ah, ugh, I got to marry Jezebel. Oh, my word. What? No, 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 no. God is, not, God is not naming the person in his word who you are to marry. But I will tell you this. God has given you all kinds of principles for the kind of person you ought to be. And he's given you all kinds of principles for the kind of person you ought to be looking for. You see, so God is not giving you a name. He's, but he is telling you how. He, he, he may not be telling you who, but he is telling you how you can find that. Do you understand? That is why you must immerse yourself in the word of God. So how can I answer these five questions? Immerse myself in the word of God. Second, submit myself to the spirit of God. Okay, Lord, use me. Lead me. Guide me. Show me. But I will tell you this. The spirit of God is always using the word of God. The spirit of God, we've said this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I will say it again because you have forgotten. The spirit of God uses the word of God to make the, the people of God into the image of the Son of God. Do you understand? God, you, the Spirit of God is using His Word. So, so you're, not, you're not saying, well, the Spirit told me this. Yeah, but the Bible says you shouldn't lie. Yeah, but the Spirit told me I was going to. No, 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 the Bible is very clear. The Spirit uses the Word to take the men and women of God, you and me, and lead us in the way that He wants us to go. So submit yourself to the Spirit. Immerse yourself in the Word. Submit yourself to the Spirit. Now, you're not going to like this one, but here it is. Make yourself accountable to spiritual leaders. Make yourself accountable to spiritual leaders. And we hate that. We hate the, the idea of accountability. We, we hate the idea of, of being accountable to somebody other than our own whim, other than our own wish, other than our own dream. And part of, part of the reason that many of us are lacking clear purpose in this life is because we are not making ourselves accountable. We are not finding spiritual leaders Pastors, which this church is full of spiritual pastors. Deacons, which this church is full of spiritual deacons. Teachers, which this church is full. We are gifted as a church with great spiritual teachers. Find them and make yourself accountable to them. Show me, teach me, help me understand. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what, I'm, here's what I need to know. And making ourselves accountable in this way according to God's plan. That is the instruction of God's word for how we answer those, per those five questions and find our purpose.